I'm Gerard Rogers with Rogers Ranch in Castroville, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. It is time for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. We're going to take that ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, how much cotton acreage will we have here in 2022? Well, we have the very first cotton acreage estimate of the year. It was released last week at the Beltwide Cotton Conferences in San Antonio. We'll have those numbers coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Dicamba herbicide products can be very beneficial to farmers. But there's also the issue of the notorious dicamba drift. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Conservation program opportunities to support climate-smart agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the story and details from the U.S. Department of Agriculture on Texas Ag Today. With the holidays behind us, the work pace picks up here on the Rolling Plains. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cotton Grower Magazine released the first cotton acreage estimate of the year at last week's Beltwide Cotton Conferences in San Antonio. Jim Stedman is Cotton Grower's senior editor. We started our surveys back in December, uh, talking to some of our readers, talking to uh, cotton specialists and other folks within the industry, uh, and realizing that we were heading into coming off of a really good year, heading into another year with uh, with some promise. And what we found out, uh, what everybody told us, is we're going to be right around 12 and a half million acres this year. That's uh, that's roughly a 7% increase over the uh, USDA planted acres report from uh, from last summer as soon as planting was over. Stedman says he realizes there is a lot of uncertainty this spring that could easily alter that estimate. Now, as for our Texas cotton acreage... The southwest region, we came up with, I think Texas was right around 7 million acres. Uh, but for the entire southwest, we had about 7.6 million. Uh, that's probably the steadiest region that we looked at in terms of, uh, of numbers, uh, about a 4% growth. Stedman says he feels there is a lot of optimism heading into this new growing season, despite the input and supply chain issues that are already affecting this crop year. Farm meeting season is in full swing, and there's an upcoming event that North Texas farmers may want to check out. Farmers and ranchers from Oklahoma and Texas will gather in just a few days to discuss management strategies, the farm bill, pest control, and other topics at the annual Red River Crops Conference. This year's conference will be January 19th through the 20th in the Jackson County Expo Center in Altus, Oklahoma. 
The first day of the conference will focus on cotton. There will be a cotton market update, an update from the National Cotton Council, an herbicide program update, an overview from Cotton Incorporated, and a cotton insect update. The next day will focus on in-season and summer crops. Interested participants are encouraged to register by Friday. Details are available on today.agrilife.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. And yet another farm meeting for Texas sheep growers is coming up. It's the American Sheep Industry Convention, just around the corner, January 19th through the 22nd in San Diego, California. Chase Adams is with the American Sheep Industry Association. We've got a great lineup of speakers on policy and educational topics vital to the sheep industry and sheep producers. And committee agendas will be posted online shortly at sheepusa.org. After a year of virtual meetings, you'll want to be here in person for this one. This is where the policy and priorities of the industry are discussed and set for the year ahead. You can register for the Sheep Industry Convention online at sheepusa.org. Dicamba products can be very helpful to Texas High Plains farmers, but James Hunt tells us there's always that issue of dicamba drift. Here in the Texas High Plains, dicamba herbicide products have been very helpful to cotton farmers as a response to the problem of glyphosate-resistant pigweed. But it's crucial for anyone applying dicamba to protect against allowing that herbicide to drift off target. I talked with Texas A&M AgriLife weed scientist Pete Dotre, who says there are two major types of drift. One is physical drift. It's the actual movement of that spray droplet as it comes out of the nozzle, and then there's volatility, which is the movement of the product from a liquid state to a gaseous state. And then, you know, as the wind is moving, it's moving along with the wind. Now, as for preventing the physical drift, Dr. Dotre says the key is understanding the importance of wind speed and nozzle selection. We can apply these products when the wind is three miles an hour to 10 miles an hour using approved nozzles that will minimize those smallest spray droplets or fines. And hopefully then as we're making those applications and utilizing the buffers that are critical, we can maximize our on-target applications. And as for avoiding volatility issues, Dr. Dotre says using the approved formulations is essential. Dicamba's been around for quite a while, 2,4-D, even a little bit longer, and there are lots of those formulations out there. But the new ones that contain things within the formulated product that really minimizes or brings that volatility level down to a very low amount, those are the products that we have to be using in crop. As we reported yesterday, for those who want to use Dicamba or 2,4-D products, AgriLife is offering a number of certification trainings in the coming weeks. Contact the Extension Service for more information about those opportunities. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Agriculture Department announced new conservation initiatives this week to support climate-smart agriculture. Tom Nicoletti has the story. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is investing $50 million in 118 partnerships to expand access to conservation assistance for climate-smart agriculture and forestry. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack highlighted the program to be administered by the Natural Resources Conservation Service during his address this week at the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention in Atlanta. We know that the markets in both the U.S. and around the world are continually going to demand more climate-smart commodities. They're going to want to know where and how various products were produced. And the exciting news is that we are on the cusp of providing significant help 
listening to the Farm Bureau and listening to those in agriculture, that it's important to establish a partnership in this effort. This is not something which is top-down. This is really a bottom-up effort. It's important for us to fund pilots and demonstration projects. We can encourage farmers to come together, establish climate-smart practices, establish those climate-smart commodities. We know that it has to be voluntary and it has to be incentive-based, it can't be regulated. And we know that it has to be reflective of the diversity of American agriculture. And we know that it has to be available to producers of all sizes and all methods and all locations and all types of production. The resources for these demonstration pilots are, are gonna come from the Commodity Credit Corporation. What we can do is create demonstration projects and pilot projects where groups of farmers can come together where we can provide the resources to reduce any financial cost associated for the farmer. This is about creating new revenue streams, additional revenue streams. That is U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. With the holidays behind us, the work pace is picking up on the Texas rolling plains. Barry Mahler has an update from North Central Texas. Even though the pace slowed a little here on the rolling plains during the Christmas and New Year's holiday, it's full speed ahead as we move into January. Cotton harvest is nearly wrapped up with just a few fields left to harvest, but it'll be a while before the ginning process is over. Good yields have sent lots of modules to the gin, and that cotton will have to be ginned and graded before marketing can continue, and farmers are anxious to capture some of the good prices with the run-up last year in the market. Cotton is classed in USDA classing offices across the cotton belt with our samples going to Lubbock. Now that office is backed up with large harvest here on the rolling plains and high plains, so it's taking a little longer to get the grades back than usual. Now there are stalks to be chopped and ground prep to be done to get ready for spring planted crops with winter weather, and that's what seems like a shortage of everything slowing down the progress. One of the tough decisions for the new year is how to manage fertility for the upcoming crop year with prices much higher than in the past. The discussion at most farm meetings lately turned to input problems, both in availability and price. Now, there are good tools available to lock in some of the good commodity prices for next season. There just isn't a real effective way to lock in input costs, and that's causing some concern. Dry weather is still a concern as the area of drought continues to increase. It seems the further west you go, the more severe the problem, and that has really affected the number of wheat pasture cattle that we have here on the rolling plains, and that's a big part of our income from a winter wheat crop. It takes good fall rain to establish and grow the crop to provide winter grazing, and it just hasn't happened this season. What cattle are turned out are being moved around and numbers reduced to try to manage the shortage, but the prospects for good gains are going away by the day. On a much brighter note, the dry, brighter than the dry weather, that's for here, is that stock show season is here in Texas with many county junior livestock shows being held over the next month, which serves as a forerunner to the major shows here in Texas, which are always very popular in the winter. These shows are popular out here in rural Texas as 4-H and FFA students show off their year's work. They not only feature some outstanding livestock, but other projects displayed as well. They compete for prizes and bragging rights, and in many places, they bring out the biggest crowd since the Friday night football and volleyball games out to these uh, local communities. Work continues out here in rural Texas with the pace picking up as we move towards spring, but right now, I don't know of anyone who would be put off with a little bit of work delay due to a good rain. This is Barry Mahler reporting from the Rolling Plains for Texas Ag Today. 
Vampire bats are making their way closer to Texas. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And another new test has been developed to help determine which calves are sick and need antibiotics during processing. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Another new test has been developed to help determine which calves are sick and need antibiotics during processing. Dr. Bob Judd tells more about it. Bovine respiratory disease, or BRD, is likely the most common disease in cattle, especially calves, in this country. In Drovers.com, it is reported that this disease costs producers over $900 million annually. So this is a serious economic problem for cattlemen, and many calves suffer with this disease. Typically, all cattle are treated with antibiotics when they arrive at a feedlot or stocker operation, and this is called metaphylaxis. However, by treating all calves, including some that may not need to be treated, antibiotic resistance can increase. The disease is caused by bacteria and viruses, and although the antibiotics may help treat the bacterial infection, it has no effect on viral infections. So the goal is to find out which animals are sick and treat only the sick ones, which saves money and decreases resistance from developing. The problem is that this is not easy to do, and many studies are being performed to attempt to determine which calves to treat and which ones do not require treatment. One test has been developed by Dr. Mohit Verma at Purdue University that is a test that can be performed on the farm. The test identifies three strains of bacteria that commonly cause BRD. A nasal swab is put in a small vial with other reagents and heated to a temperature of 149 degrees Fahrenheit in water, and results are available as a color change in positive samples. The downside is that it takes about an hour to get results. And even though that seems quick, if you have ever worked cattle, you know that waiting an hour and then running the cattle to be treated back through the chute is very time-consuming. Perhaps the researchers can decrease the time required for results. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Vampire bats are making their way closer to Texas. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Vampire bats may sound like something out of a movie, but they're definitely real. In fact, vampire bats can be found in Mexico, Central, and South America. And some say they're an emerging potential threat for the United States, posing a risk to wildlife like deer and wild pigs and to livestock. Dr. Joanne Mackey, a rabies expert for Beringer Ingelheim, says the vampire bat's habitat has been expanding further northward, and that's why the U.S. Department of Agriculture has a surveillance program in deep south Texas to detect them if they ever cross the border. They have been detected as close as 35 to 40 miles south of the border of Texas with the increasing 
range of these animals. It is on our government agency's radar. They are wanting to do surveillance. They're looking in feedlots. They're looking in farms. If someone has a potential suspect animal that has a bite wound on it that is atypical, they want to know about it. Vampire bats are not like normal bats. According to USDA, they feed on the blood of wildlife and livestock. Those animals suffer because of the blood meals being taken. So not only are those animals at risk for potentially having rabies transmitted by the bite of the vampire bat, but due to the blood meal that the vampire bat consumes, it stresses the cattle or stresses the horse, and you see a decrease in that animal's production levels. Dr. Mackey encourages livestock producers to work with the veterinarian to vaccinate their livestock against rabies. BI also has a program where they help prevent the spread of rabies across the U.S. by distributing rabies vaccines for wild animals like coyotes and raccoons. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We saw a lower trade in the cattle market on Wednesday, but the cotton market got a big boost. We'll take a look at all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures moved lower in Wednesday's trade, both live and feeder cattle ending in the red with February live cattle down $1.10, 136.57. The April down 67 cents at 140.52. June live cattle dropped 60 to close at 136.25. January feeder cattle down 20 cents, 161.87. The March down $1.32, 165.02. While April feeder cattle were down $1.35, 168.77. Cash-fed cattle market. We are seeing some trades so far this week, but it is very light trade. We saw some sales in Colorado at 137. Up in Iowa, they sold live cattle at 138. Here in Texas, we sold a few cattle on the online fed cattle exchange on Wednesday. 345 heads sold at 137. Boxed beef, higher on Wednesday. Choice up $1.05, 279.27. Select up $1.82 at 270.45. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Ken Jordan sells cattle in Mason and San Saba most each and every week. Ken? How did that Monday sale go in Mason? Larry, we ended up having a really good sale today. I thought overall the quality ran extremely deep. Uh, we ended up at 1,513 head today. I thought overall stalker steers, they were probably 10 to $20 a hundred higher today. Uh, two steers weighed 543 in a group, brought 202 a pound, right at $1,097 on those. Also, uh, a group of two steers weighed 435 at 230 a pound, a little over $1,000 on those 435-pound steers. Stalker heifers, I thought overall sold 2 to $4 higher. I thought feeder steers, they sold probably 5 
five to seven higher, had a group of 18 steers, weighed 683, at a buck 51, a lower $1,031 on those. Peter Hereford, the Federal Ball Larry, they sold two to four dollars higher. Packer Bulls sold three higher. Top Bull today was a little over a bull that weighed over 2,050 pounds at a dollar three and a half, dollars out $2,100. Then I thought overall the Packer cows probably sold two dollars, maybe three dollars higher. Pairs and bred cows overall sold steady and good demand, Larry. Let's talk briefly about San Saba for Thursday. We're going to start at 10 o'clock, one hour early. We'll have about an hour's worth of bulls we're going to sell. We're on the Shady Oak from down here at Freshburg. Real good set of Charlie bulls, about 25 of those. And then we got five Sim Angus bulls. We also got about 25 total Black Angus bulls, 12 Red Angus, uh, six Bramers, and uh, a couple Beef Masters. And then we'll be at 11 o'clock. We'll roll right into our Packer cows and everything. And then we'll ride into our premium wean cell and our regular stocker feeder cell. Probably around 1,500, something, 1,600 kids we know already coming right now, Larry. Tell us how to get a hold of you. You bet. Give us a call, Larry. Go 325-372-5159. Also go to our website, jordancattle.com. We've got all the groups of calves and the bulls listed. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet, Larry. Have a good evening. Hey, Brian, Larry Marble, and that was Ken Jordan. And that's it for Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day to you. See you again tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs closed higher Wednesday. The February contract up a dollar at seventy-eight eighty-five. April hogs up a dollar twenty eighty-five forty. Class three milk was steady to higher. January milk unchanged at twenty thirty-seven. February milk up twenty-five cents twenty-two forty-five a hundred weight. The cotton market got a boost from USDA's crop production and supply and demand report released Wednesday morning. They lowered the 2021 crop estimate by some 660,000 bales down to 17.62 million. World carryout also lowered by 720,000 bales to 85.01 million bales. That helped us out on the price front with March cotton up 162 points, 117.64. October cotton up 102 points, 101.98. December cotton up 107 closing at 96.34 cents. The corn market didn't see a lot of movement. March corn down 2 cents, 5.99. New crop September corn up a quarter penny at 5.71. The USDA numbers did put some pressure on the wheat market. July Kansas City wheat dropped 10 cents, 7.79 a bushel, while July Chicago wheat was down 14 at 7.55 and a quarter. In the energy markets, February natural gas jumped 58 cents at 4 483 February crude oil up a dollar 42 8264 a barrel the financial markets narrowly mixed Wednesday afternoon the Dow down one point 36,250 the Nasdaq up 26 15,180 the S&P up eight points at 4,721 that wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today my name is Kerry Martin sure hope we see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet Texas agriculture thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.